kind of creepy. <laughs> well, what, what do all those people have in common in the Bible? All of those, all of those people are in the Bible. As Jeff would say, they've been naughty. <laughs> These are, this series, it's nine weeks, and we're taking a look at people in Scripture who didn't finish well, made bad decisions, uh, and they ended up being a story in the Bible that we can learn from in sort of a negative sense to say, don't do this. Because they messed up their lives and they messed up other people's lives. How many of you would say, based on that, you as a person are qualified to be named in Scripture? <laughs> I've messed up, <laughs> okay? And so uh, I, this, this, this could, I could be in there. All of us have... Places where we've messed up and issues that uh, we got it wrong. So I want you today to really open your heart to really think about what this means in terms of, of the elder brother. I, I also just want to say, keep an open mind. You know, don't, don't just poke someone else and say, I'm thinking of you when he's saying that, <laughs> Right? But, but really pay attention to this. And here's the question that I kind of want you to just have in your mind. What are the filters that you have built into your life that create your perceptions about life, your reactions to different circumstances that you find yourself in? You know, we all probably start with, you know, I hear people all the time, well, I get that from my dad. You know, he always had a temper and I just know that's... So it's true. The DNA you have... You got from your parents, that's a little beyond your control. But, but what about other things? What about how you view life and why you view it that way? You hear people say, are you a, a person that views life with a glass half full or a glass half empty? If I said to you, which are you, maybe you would have an idea. Because the people who say half empty, many of them would say, well, that's because I'm a realist. You know, life is not all happy, clappy all the time, and there's hard decisions, and you do it, and you face it, and you get through it, and that's just how it is. Amen. Right? A person who sees it half full is kind of like, oh, I love life. I mean, it's what you make out of it, you know? It's the whole, you get a lemon, you make lemonade. You get sour, you make sour cream. You, have, you know, it's all these little puns and funny little phrases, and, and everything's good. How did you get to that? Either side, how'd you get there? Was it, was it your decision-making that you've made a decision to live this way with this attitude? Is it the sovereignty of God that just this is just who I am? Is it the free will of man and you've made decisions that I'm going to live this way? What is it? Because in this story, we have two sons. Now, it's known as the prodigal son story, and it's just a story, by the way. It's, it's a narrative that Jesus is telling to help religious people understand themselves and the love of God. We often call it the prodigal son, but it could be called the loving father. It could be the parable of the elder brother. It's all, it's all three of those. So, so here we go. If, if you've looked at the back of your program and saw all those blanks, don't freak out. Okay, I, I'm sorry I did that to you, but we're going to make it through all of those. The first thing I want you to write down is this. The story of the prodigal son. I'm going to just briefly mention all three of the stories. And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time on the story of the elder brother in a minute. But I want you to understand. In Luke 15, if you have a Bible, you can just lay it open, leave it there. We're going to just walk through it. 
But instead of reading everything about the prodigal son, since I'm not, that's not my main character that I'm focusing on, I'm just going to tell you this story. Here's what happens. He comes into his dad one day. He's an adult male. He says, um, I want my share of the family inheritance. I don't want to wait until you die. I want it now. Dad thinks about it, decides to give it to him. Gives him his share of the family farm, if I can call it that. He goes off and he squanders it all. He lives this party life, crazy life, does everything he's fantasized about doing. He ends up homeless. He ends up penniless. He ends up waking up one morning with the pigs. And the Bible says that he's actually eating the food that the pigs are eating. And it dawns on him. Do you ever have, have you ever heard someone say, I had an aha moment? He had, the Bible says he came to himself. He had this recognition. He recognized this moment. And here's, here's his logic, and this is important. His logic was, I know I can never go back home and be a son to my dad. I've squandered everything that is mine. He probably knows his brother hates him in some ways. So he says, the servants that work at the farm have it better than I have it. They're not eating pig food. They're treated great. So I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell my dad that I just want to be a servant. That's it, because I'm sick of living like this. So that's what he does. He goes home. His dad, however, sees him coming down the road, runs from the house to meet him. And that's the second thing in your outline is the story of the loving father. The story of the loving father. This is a very powerful and compelling story, especially in light of the fact that this kid has squandered all of his wealth, has nothing left, And his dad still is going to love him as a son, not as a servant at his household. So we pick it up at Luke 15, verse 20. So the prodigal returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. At least he got it right. He was repentant. He was humble. But his father, it's like he didn't even hear him. He said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. This son of mine was dead. And now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. What a story. Now, who is Jesus telling this story to? Would you think that's important? He's telling the story to religious people. Pharisees, teachers of the law. So what is he trying to get across? Is he trying to make them sad about the prodigal that ran away? He's trying really To get him to understand this point, that the Father's love, meaning our God, the Father, loves us no matter what and is willing to chase us down. You don't earn the Father's love. You don't do enough good things to earn it. The Father's love is just always there. So that's really important in the story that you get this picture Jesus is trying to create for these listeners there. He's going to move on, however, to the third story in Luke 15, and that's the story of the elder brother, number three in your outline there. The story of the elder brother, it's where we're going to spend most of our time here. 
The story of the elder brother is this other guy who also lives in the house. He's older than the prodigal who ran away and squandered everything. He's the responsible one, okay? So keep that in mind as we go through this. And there's some traits here that I, I've just written down. There's more than six if you read the story carefully, but I'm going to give you six traits. And i got to tell you, some of these are good traits. Some of these, you, you, let's, just, let's just go through them. Number one, he was hardworking. One of the attributes of the elder brother was that he worked hard in the fields every day. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually says in Luke 15, verse 25, after the son comes home and the fattened calf is killed, meanwhile, meaning the older son who was gone, now comes in. And he, no, excuse me, the older son was in the fields working. So when all this happened, the prodigal comes home. This guy is out in the fields working. And I'd like to propose that this elder son worked every single day. He worked hard. He had an ethic of hard working. Now, here's the problem. First of all, how many of you think that's a good trait to have, that you're a hard worker? I do. I, we wanted our kids to work hard. I worked hard. I still work hard. We all love that trait. I mean, you can be employee of the month and get a parking space at some places of business. You know, you can get a little thing on your desk that says employee of the month. Because why? Because people notice if you're hardworking. But here's the thing about hard workers. They expect other people to also be hard workers. Right? So here's a brother who can't believe there's someone in their family that's not a hard worker. He goes off and lives this crazy party life. He leaves his dad and him with the farm and the work and the headaches and all the stuff that they do in the grind. I, I remember in, in high school, my job was digging tailings with a shovel in basements on the western slope. They had uranium in them. And so we had to clear all this sand like out and, and, and get rid of it. And if there would be three or four of us on the end of a shovel filling up wheelbarrows with, with sand. And boy, I'll tell you, if there was a slacker that was hired and came onto our job, we got rid of them fast. Because when you're working hard, you want everybody to work hard. You want them to sweat like you're sweating. This older brother could not stand the fact that this kid has come home and it's being celebrated when he's lived the kind of life he's lived. I've seen church people that fall into this problem. They work hard. They give themselves to the kingdom of God. They volunteer, they sign up, they show up, they work hard, and then they're, they're frustrated when people come in and don't have that same kind of drive and vision and, and burden, or they're maybe just a young baby Christian and they don't have the disciplines in their life. And, and I've seen Christians, well-meaning Christians, get angry and frustrated and resentful because this person isn't getting it right. They're not doing it right. Who do they think they are just coming in here? And we have to be careful not to let the spirit of the older brother get in our hearts. Number two, he wanted to be in control. Again, don't poke anybody. Just put this in your own heart. He wanted to be in control. Now, control is a very real thing. And we all want it and like it most of the time. But it says this, when he did return home, uh, meaning the elder brother, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? Well, your brother's back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Oh, my goodness. This was just a blow-up moment. 
I mean, he, I can't even imagine what was going on in the elder brother's mind. You what? My dad did what? There's, there's like drama all of a sudden. And I guarantee you those servants saw it in his eyes. He's frustrated because he didn't call the party. He didn't get, dad didn't get permission to kill the fattened calf, who he's probably worked hard to help fatten it. He's probably been the protector of it. And by the way, this fattened cat's, calf stuff is a big deal. We could take a lot of time and just talk. This would be saved for like the biggest event of the year. And, and then for his dad to just kill it and he has no say in it had to be very offensive to him. And, and that's why he talks about it. He wanted it his way. Don't tell me what to do. It's an attitude that says, I make decisions better than most people. Run it by me first and we'll be good. That's his attitude. Matter of fact, I, I mean, you know this spirit would never creep into church people, right? I mean, I mean maybe those Saturday nighters, they're kind of rebellious, but you... You guys probably don't even need any of this today, right? So, so here's what I've done. I brought a few cards. Um, <laughs> these are real connection cards that I save, that I have a little drawer that I, I throw them in if I might want to use it. They're not signed. I don't know who wrote them, so if you wrote them, don't come and tell me you wrote it because I want to use it in the next service also, okay? <laughs> but these are real. I'm not making this up, okay? So let me just, let me just go through a few of these. Um, no facial hair should be on anyone in our church who stands on that platform. I'm in trouble, but Cameron's dead. Cameron's dead. That is a beard he has. Oh, my goodness. What? Is that in the Bible? Why? What is someone thinking when they write a card like that? I don't think they like facial hair. Here's another one. Here's another one. Please, this is, you can't make this stuff up. This is true. This really was sent to me. Please change the service time on Sunday to 9.30 because 10 is too late and 8.30 is too early. So next Sunday... Right? Right? Are you kidding me? This is a fun one here. Godly churches have an organ and no drums. If you said amen to that, you're in the wrong church, all right? Oh, yeah, you'll really appreciate this in light of what you've just been doing. This is no kidding. It says... Please stop laughing in church. It isn't supposed to be fun. I don't think they're still here. Do you? I don't think they are. I love your laugh. Thank you. This is my favorite. And again, you can't make this up. This really is a card I got. Derry Northrup's shoes are creeping me out. These are, these are normal shoes. I don't, know, I don't know what to say about I tried to think which ones I was wearing. I'm sure I threw them away by now. I don't know. I'm... But that's what happens when people want to be in control. They somehow have, have the audacity to think that it should be what they want it to be, and that would make it better. Because my preference is better than anyone else's preference. That is, that is sad. 
please check your heart. That was the spirit of the elder brother. Number three, he was angry. He was really angry. And, and, and Jesus, again, he's telling this story. It's not a true story, just telling it as an illustration. But he uses the word anger. Verse 28 says, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in the house. So his father came out and begged him. Here's the drama, you guys. This is a family. Jesus is trying to create this picture that a servant probably comes in and says, Mr. So-and-so, your, your, son just, your oldest son just got back from the field. He's really mad, and he's not coming in the house. He can't stand what's going on here. He's sick of his brother and what he did with the money, and so I don't, we don't know what to do. Dad goes running outside. Listen, you've got to come in the house. My, our son, blah, 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 my son was this. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. This is, this is very, very sad because I, I think there's, I, I think I would have had some anger. I do. I think it's, it's justified to go, why are you throwing a party for someone who didn't get it right? And it's, it's easy to justify our anger toward others when in fact we miss the fact that he was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. The brother just couldn't get that. Number four, he had a sense of entitlement. Boy, do I see this in our culture today. It is a scary time when people, I mean, the slightest little thing, and they, they think you should give them more, they deserve more, they work harder than anybody else, and I need more money, and I need more time off, and I need, if you employ people, you understand this. Because this happens, and I thank God for our Timberline employees that this spirit is not in them. We are here to serve. We are here to help. But it's tough when you have, when you do all the work and someone else gets the credit. And I tell our team all the time, you know, I get these notes that, that are emails that say, thank you so much for letting us use Timberline Church for our blah, 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 you know, group here in, in town, whatever. Well, I didn't even know that they were here. I, I didn't even, I had nothing to do with that decision. Our team, our staff worked it all out and they made it happen. But I get thanked. Now, that could create a little bit of bitterness and resentment in the people doing all the work, right? So I'm really careful to go thank the people. Hey, you got a thank you note. It's really to you, not to me. You did the work. But what about when you're in those environments where someone else is getting the credit and you're doing all the work? Boy, it's easy to get a little resentful. It's easy to let it build up and you want to tell somebody about it and I deserve a little more money and I, I think I, I'm being mistreated and there's entitlement. That's what this older brother had. The sense of this is my stuff. What is he doing coming back in here? Number five, pretty interesting that he tracked how he was rewarded. He, he literally was keeping track of what his dad had done for him. And he brings it up in the story. Instead of being happy that his brother is home, he says this to his dad. And this is right out of scripture. In all that time, in other words, in all the time he's been out squandering wealth, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I'm sad by that. Like, I so wish the father would have done something or I, I wish there, but I, I, I have to go into the older brother and say, he's counting, he's keeping track. Instead of just serving with no strings attached and doing what he should be doing. And so it's so easy to fall into this trap. What have you done for me lately? 
You know, and so people get mad and they complain and they complain about other coworkers. They they steal from their employer. All of a sudden, there's this entitlement. I, I I'm amazed at at how many people get judgmental toward a, a, someone who walks into our church and they, they aren't dressed quite right, they don't have it together, they've served jail time, they're, they're, they're a felon, they have issues, they're trying to get their life back. And, and, and I've seen attitudes through the years, and thank God, not now. I, don't, I hardly ever see this. I've seen attitudes. Who do these people think they are coming into our church? You know, they're using our bathrooms, our toilet paper, they're, they're, they're taking our pins. Those cost money, and they're taking our pins right from the chairs. Matter of fact, one of my favorite moments is when, when I'm in a restaurant and they bring me the bill, and it has a Timberline pin. It's, I love that. You know, I'm like, ah, I wonder how this got there. You know, I love it. So, so it's like, so like I just tell Bonnie, put it in your purse. No, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't. Matter of fact, I had a story after the last service of a guy in our church who's been here for years who went on a missions trip to the jungle. They climbed to the top of this mountain on an island and they had to register in this welcome book of this tribe and he pulls out the pin and it's a Timberline church pin. <laughs> Praise God for those pins, right? Right, yeah, pretty cool. He just started laughing, he couldn't believe it. So where am I? I'm lost here now. Number five, are we on number five? Number, number five. Oh, yeah, number six. Number six. Good. That's even better. He, he, sees, he sees the worst in people. He sees the worst in people. And you can always tell when, when the spirit of the elder brother gets in you that you don't really see what people are good at. You see what they're not good at. And you like to accuse them and judge them. And maybe it's jealousy because they can do something a little better than you or they get acknowledged for something that you know you've done all along. And, and it says in verse 30, Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Three things right there in that one thing. This son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. You with me? That's a big deal. Has squandered your money, talking to his dad, when the truth is, in this culture, that son did get his inheritance and it was his money to do with as he pleased. So this elder brother has this edge on him that is seeing all the worst, not giving any benefit of the doubt, and then he goes back into the killing of the fattened calf. Why? Because I told you that's a very big deal. So we can't believe that all these things have happened. This son of yours who squandered your money so I started thinking, what would be some takeaways for us that, that we can learn from? What are some lessons learned? First of all, I want you to see the heart of the father here in verse 31. It says that his father says to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. May it be said of Timberline Church, may it be said of all of us that the greatest day, the greatest wins that we have in our church is when people who are lost are found by Jesus. 
When people who have gone away, they're dead to sin, that suddenly they are alive in Christ. You guys, that's why we exist as a church. Let's never forget that. Let's never grow weary of celebrating the life change that only God can bring to people who are lost. The first thing that I I have in my list here is just that, kind of what I just said, we should celebrate new life. Let's, let's be a church that really does celebrate the good news of when people have change. And I realize there are challenges with this. We have, we have things set up in our church for, for all security measures for people who have been in trouble or they've, they've messed up and they have to live within a perimeter with their parole officer and so on and so on. We have, we, have, we have ways that we can help serve our community at times when people who can't even come to church, where we can go to them, we can bring life to them. And I, I think we just need to thank you. I just, can I just say thank you, Timberline? You know, I don't receive too many of these things anymore because I think you get it. I really do. I think you understand the world we live in is messed up and the people in it are messed up, all of us. But by the grace of God, there is hope for our future and theirs. And let's give hope every opportunity we can. The second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is just this. Get rid of resentment. Get rid of it. It's, it's you know, I know. You've been wounded. You don't know what, you know, I can, I can just hear people saying, but you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. I've been betrayed. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. I've been taken advantage of. And, and, and I, I know you have to navigate through that. You know why? Because resentment, hear me, resentment will take away your future. How, how can you let something back here? Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. And I'm not saying you have to become friends with them again. You may never respect them again a day in your life. I get that. That's not dishonoring to God. That's just the truth. But don't let resentment eat at you. Don't don't be thinking about this all the time and and living it in your mind. Say, well, how do you do that? Well, I'll give you my simple solution. It's way too simple. It probably won't work for you, but it's helped me. Whenever that comes to my mind, that that whatever, how someone offended me, it pops in my mind in a moment and I'm angry for that second. I, I just, I made it a habit physically to smile. It just, I just make myself smile. It's a fake smile, but it, it's real to me. I smile, and I say something like this in my heart. I say, God, all of that belongs to you. You're keeping score. I don't have to, so thank you. I'm going to move on with my day. So I'm acknowledging that that seed is still in me, but I'm not going to let it grow. I'm not going to let it get bigger, and I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to keep the conversation going in my mind of what you say and they say, and you say and they say, and you say and they say. Resentment will destroy you. So that's why I smile a lot, if you've wondered. Uh, that's, that's the answer. No, kidding. I'm kidding. Number three, learn to recognize when you're self-centered. Probably one of the most difficult things I would ask of you today. Learn to recognize. How do you know when you're self-centered? You probably don't know. I'm pretty convinced. I don't know when I get self-centered. So I can tell like in my driving sometimes when I start to think that it is my road. You know, why did they pull out in front of me? I had this lane covered. Um, and And I just have to stop. And, and I don't deserve that parking space up front. I, I just, 
So I've just started parking a long ways away and get, get a few more steps in and get, get, get out of that self-centeredness that, that drives us. And here's the problem. The person who may have the courage to, to tell you that you're becoming self-centered, you probably would not receive it from them. You'd probably tell them, oh, yeah, right, like you have it all together. What are you telling me? You're the one that's self-centered. So, so how are you going to recognize it? I don't know. You need to figure it out because we all have a tendency to let this happen in our lives, even though we certainly don't want to. Another like, practical thing, look at your time and money. If you look at where you spend money on yourself uh, and where you spend your time, are you giving time? to people? Are you volunteering? Are you out there? Are you making a difference? Are you offering to help someone else? Or is your life just about you and every dollar you make is about you? These are just good guidelines to say, am I self-centered? The last one, I really like this one, be willing to party. You know, when, when I love that passage at the end of this when it says, and the party began. I just want us as a church to be the party people. In a good way, in, in not a worldly sense, but in a godly sense, to say, we are the people who rejoice when people come to faith. We are the people who rejoice in the good news of the gospel. And let's celebrate. How do we respond when someone else is being celebrated? That's a very piercing question. How am I going to respond? Will I join the party? Here's the sorrow and how I want to end today, and I, I hope you'll think about this. Here's what we have in the, this is one of the stories. Jesus does not end this story. It stays right there. I, I wish it, it would have said, oh, the elder brother had a soft moment, went in, hugged his brother, and it was the end of the movie. But that's not what happened. We don't know what happened, but here's what I do know. We had the prodigal in the story who was outside the house squandering He's now inside the house, clean, protected, forgiven. The elder brother who has been inside the house is now outside the house, bitter, resentful. We have a new prodigal now in this story. And that's what happens when we don't deal with the spirit of the elder brother in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we really want to learn from this. I don't want to stay outside of your perfect plan for my life. Show me, Lord, how to deal with these issues, these things in my life that can so easily creep in. Help us today to own these things. If you are lost, you might not be eating with the pigs, but in a serious moment before God, if you feel lost today, maybe no one knows your story fully. Maybe you're not as desperate as the prodigal, but the truth is you feel lost and you need God to bring you in the house and put a robe on you and a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet, and you need someone to celebrate you could I pray for you? Just, just raise a hand and look up here at me real fast while no one else is looking around. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Just, just hold it up and look at me. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel lost. Thank you. Thank you.
You may put them right back down. Anyone else? Thank you. Let's pray, church. Let's, you pray for these and agree with me. Lord, we love. See, we don't, we don't maybe know them to the detail you do, but we love them in the kingdom right now. Let us be the house where we have welcomed them. And would you be the father to right now clothe them. Lord, I pray that you would hug them, that you would hold them. They would feel the rain of praise of adoration. Thank you for the repentant heart of the prodigal son that he knows he's not worthy, but you are a father who loves us when we are unworthy. I pray that now over my brothers and sisters, God. Let them come and make things clean and pure before you right now and let them feel welcome in the father's house and fulfilled with a new purpose in life. Let this be a very real moment for them. We celebrate with them. I, I think secondly, I need to ask if you have the spirit of the elder brother. I don't know if you know it, but if the spirit has nudged you today, and if there's a little bit of this that maybe you have some pieces of, I know I've responded this week in my own life of things that caught me off guard. And I want you to do that now. You don't even have to lift a hand, but just right now say, Lord, I don't want that spirit in me. I give it to you. Purify my heart. Show me how to rejoice. Show me how not to live self-centered or entitled. Thank you for everything I have and for the blessings in my life. Lastly, I know some of you have prodigals that you're praying for. Some of you, it's your own kids. Some of you, it's a, a niece or a nephew or a loved one, or maybe it's a friend. But there's a prodigal that's out there that you want us to pray for today. Here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to ask all of you to stand who have prodigals in your life that you're thinking of their name right now. We're going to whisper their name out loud, and it could be more than one name, and then we're going to pray over them that God, the Father, the perfect Father, would bring them home. So if you have a prodigal in your life somewhere, would you stand, please? God bless you, first of all. This is not easy. It's emotional. You love, you love this person or these people. And there might be a lot of hurt and pain associated with this, but I wanted to say God is able. So I want you, just when I say go, I want you to whisper their name or names out loud. Go. Heavenly Father, you hear the names that have been stated in this room and in the South Auditorium. You are a God who understands how real this moment is. And you know these people better than we do. We say their names, but you know them. You know their heart. You know how and why they ended up where they are. So be the God who runs after them today. <laughs> be the loving Father who sees an open door and an opportunity to love them fully. And Lord, we pray that you would prepare the house that they will run to. If it's a church in Alaska, if it's in the South, if it's on another continent, 
would you prepare the people not to have the spirit of the elder brother, but prepare them to receive this lost one who is a prodigal. And may they come home, we ask it, in the powerful name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.